Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. This is the Sports Edge with Rick Wolf on your flagship station for New York sports. The Fan, Sports Radio 66 and 1019 FM, WFAN, New York. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Rick Wolf Sports Edge. I'm your host, Rick Wolf. Well, I hope you did your homework this past week and had a chance to read through that most provocative Time magazine cover story on youth sports. Entitled, How Kids Sports Became a $15 Billion Industry, Time writer Sean Gregory did a masterful job of showing just how obsessed American parents have become with ensuring that their kid will have every opportunity to advance to either becoming a pro or at the very least win a college scholarship. Now, for those of you who have listened to the Sports Edge over the years, of course, none of this uh, comes as new news. But that being said, Sean did a terrific job at showing just how, well, how nuts uh, this parental obsession has become. And even worse, this trend, this is, again, parental obsession, as I call it, it doesn't really show any sign of slowing down. If anything, it's just accelerating. Now, Sean Gregory joins me this morning. And, Sean, uh, I have lots of questions for you about the article. And, and friends, we'll take your calls here and comments at uh, 1-877-337-6666. That's brought to you by Mohegan Sun, Connecticut, Mohegan Sun, Pocono, and Resorts Atlantic City. Sean, uh, good morning. Good morning, Rick. Thanks for having me this morning. I, I have to ask you, let, let's... Why were you inspired to write this piece? Now, I know, and I should tell our audience, that uh, obviously you were uh, a former top uh, athlete in, in high school. You played at Ford and Prep. You played for Kevin Pickett in the basketball team. You played college ball at Princeton. I guess you have a son who plays ball now. But tell me, what inspired you to get to do a piece like this? Yeah, no, I, I'm living through this a little bit myself, Rick, and that kind of sparked a uh... Um, a, a need to kind of explore it a little bit and thought it would hit and resonate with, uh, you know, millions of other parents going through um, the similar kind of thought process. You know, my son is 11. Um, he likes different sports. And I was just struck by how many choices there are to do things beyond the traditional, um, you know, CYO Little League um, route that, um, you know, I took. 20, 30 years ago when I was growing up. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I knew AAU, for example, in basketball has gotten bigger. I knew all about travel sports. But I guess as a parent, I just wasn't prepared for stuff being thrown at you and, and opportunities being thrown at you um, when the kid is so young. And so it comes really fast. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, and, and one being just the connectivity of the world. You just know more. And, um, and so it's in your Facebook feeds, it's in your, in your um, you see Instagram shots. And I think around the country what happens is you just kind of, it all feeds, it feeds competitive parents, it feeds, um, it feeds insecurities, like, oh my God, am I not doing enough for my, for my son or daughter? And when your son or daughter likes like sports and wants to play sports, um, it's hard to, to resist um, buying into the, the, the travel, uh, you know, quote, 
quote-unquote travel, quote-unquote elite circuit. I say quote-unquote elite because, you know, in a lot of cases, I think when you and I were younger, travel teams were for, um, you know, the really, really top players. When I was growing up playing basketball in New York City, there were basically two AAU programs, and you had to be an All-American to be on them. Mm-hmm. Um, now there's just, it, it, it's constant and... Um, you know, there's entrepreneurs out there that will take your money and put you on a tra- on their team, um, their quote unquote elite team, because you can cut a check, and that and that has all kinds of social costs with the pay to play. And when we had, we went some we pulled some statistics in our story and saw some evidence that really, if you you know, team sport participation really declines um, based on based on income. So there's a real pay to play situation going on now. Some of the uh, terms you, you just use, uh, Sean, uh, have to do and things. These are, these are hot button topics to me. Uh, the fact that playing off of, as you said, parental insecurities, uh, am I doing enough for my, my, my son or daughter if they like sports? Uh, the fact that this comes upon parents so quickly because the kids just are beginning to learn sports when they're five or six, and suddenly you have to figure out, okay, what do I get them on to the right uh, travel program or give them enough private coaching? Uh, one of the, the, the people you interviewed in, in your time piece uh, said that the youth sports has become privatized. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's a concept that didn't exist with mm-hmm. with youth sports uh, ten or fifteen years ago. When you say privatized, I mean you're you're saying that basically people are coming in uh, with their travel programs or coaching, whatever it might be, and saying, "Look, uh, there's an opportunity here for me to make some money as a basically an entrepreneur uh, to to sort of feed off the parental insecurities that they're not doing enough for their kids in sports." Exactly, and and and, and the. The entrepreneur who said that youth sports, for better or worse, is being privatized, um, you know, he came up with a pretty ingenious concept, an app called CoachUp, where it's basically Uber for private coaches. You, on your phone, you, you, you pull, up a, pull up the app, and, and you, you can be instantly connected to coaches who charge, you know, 50 to $100 an hour um, to teach shooting or baseball or basketball, soccer, whatever. Yep. So, yep. yeah, the privatized, you know, a lot of little leagues weren't, you know, a lot of Community leagues and local rec leagues are like nonprofit volunteer organizations, not necessarily public. Although there are plenty of town leagues and that kind of thing. But yeah, the travel circuit are private clubs, private businesses. You know, some have nonprofit designation, and um, so it's not accessible to all like um, the local little leagues were. And it's really hurt little league. Little league participation is down twenty percent since the early 2000s as there's been this migration i think you know i think baseball has some issues with you know being being hip for young kids too but i think a large part of that decline has to do with the migration to you know the private leagues uh the private travel teams where little leagues look down on i mean i can't tell you how many parents told me you know the reason he doesn't play rec ball the reason he doesn't play CYO, um, you know, Little League, you know, town soccer, whatever, is because there's no competition there. Well, and this so, is, and that's what kind of feeds it as well. And you don't hear about this. And my guest this morning is Sean Gregory from Time Magazine. You don't hear about the the, the drop off with Little League. That you don't you watch uh, Little League baseball, the the playoffs, and the World mm-hmm. Series and Women's Sport on ESPN. You don't hear about the tremendous drop off right. in enrollment because they're too busy focusing on on the the positive aspects of Little League. Uh, uh, but the reality is, as you said, 
the, the and the parents say, well, yeah, the competition isn't that good at the local rec team, or the coaching is just a bunch of dads helping out, whatever it might be. There's also a sense of one-upmanship, uh, of snob appeal, even that oh, my kids on this better team. And by the way, Sean, we we you and I talked about this last week, and parents need to know this. None of these travel programs, even though they have all the trappings and seem to be have wonderful websites and whatever, none of these these programs are in any way licensed. Uh, or, reg- or regulated by near, by any states or by the federal government. It's just uh, coffee at emptor. I mean, you take your chances with these things. Yeah, no, there's a loose constellation of somewhat um, autonomous government bodies. There's really no regulation. When I was, you know, I, we, we kind of honed in on baseball a little bit. This The trick of this story was kind of whittling it down because it's such a big topic and hits so many sports all over the country. But we just kind of focused a little bit on baseball. And in the early stages of the reporting, you know, no, just there were so many alphabet organizations. There's the U Triple S A, which sanctions tournaments. There's you know, but there's also a, some other organization has this World Series and that World Series. There seemed to be a hodgepodge of gov, quote unquote governing bodies, um, and so it was. It kind of felt like the Wild West. Who's who? What's what? It's kind of. It's really, really difficult terrain to navigate, and it provides an opening for people to come in and, and, and start a business. So there's really no barrier to entry, um, which, again, is, is fueling that growth as well. Yeah, as I said, it is a Wild West because if you're not familiar with this terrain and you're coming into it with your kid who's uh, 8, 9, or 10, you have really no clue except to sort of basically uh, poke around, talk to people, and, and hope for the best for your kid because this is not something that uh, as an industry is is regulated or overseen in any way by in fact for and again the listeners of the show will know for years I have asked well why hasn't the uh, the, the president's uh, council on physical fitness particularly when uh, Obama was in office who's a big sports fan why didn't he intervene and say here, here are some federal guidelines you as a sports parent should be asking if your kid is going to be trying out for a travel team or, or this or using a private coach. None of that stuff exists from the, from the federal or from the state uh, area. Now, as opposed to obviously if your kid plays in a, uh, you know, in a rec program in the town, usually the people who run the rec programs do have a background in physical fitness and education, obviously uh, with schools. The, official, the coaches are all uh, certified by the state, have gone through CPR training and so on and so forth. But that doesn't happen with any travel program, no matter how, how elaborate they may be uh, and their promises and uh, exciting it might be uh, you know, to a parent. You understand this is really on your own. Yeah, you have to really do your homework. And, you know, there are plenty of good travel coaches out there. There are plenty of, you know, um, programs where there, there, it is about skill development. And, you know, the, the travel circuit works for a lot of families and kids. You know, we, we did go down to Louisiana in a tournament and saw plenty of kids having fun, meeting kids, other kids across the country. It, it seemed to be a, a cool thing for some of them, and, and, but you don't, you don't know what's going on beyond the surface. So, but, yeah, there are, there are good examples out there, but you really have to, as you said, caveat emptor, you really have to do your homework and, you know, I think if there's anything to learn from, from this, it's just have your eyes open. Um, don't, yeah, if, no matter how nice the website is, don't, don't assume that you're getting top-notch training. And it's hard because, you, don't, you know, as a parent, if you're participating in sport that you don't have a huge background in, how do you know what's good coaching and training? So you have to kind of rely on others' expertise maybe to suss all this out. All right, Mike, my guest this morning is Sean Gregory. Just wrote the cover story in Time Magazine about youth sports. 
Uh, Sean, we're going to take a break, uh, have some commercial messages. Mike McCann has uh, the update. My guest this morning is Sean Gregory. He is the uh, the journalist who uh, has written the cover story this past week in Time Magazine, how kids' sports became a $15 billion industry. Sean, before I get to the calls, I, I, I want to ask you this because I, I am curious. The United States Specialty Sports Association, mm-hmm. the USSAA, what is in fact they do because they, they qualify as a as a non-for-profit charity organization and yet the the, the, the CEO makes more than eight hundred thousand dollars a year and from what I can gather uh, about about this especially sports association they basically organize tournaments and rank teams at a very kids of very young age tell me what what is this legit this this operation you know it's a, they have an interesting background they were Founded in 1968, and the USSSA, it started, started out as the United States Soft Pitch Softball Association. They basically ran soft pitch, so, uh, slow pitch, sorry, slow pitch softball tournaments for years and years and years. Right. And then in '98, they had a leadership change, and they discovered that um, youth sports is where the money's going to be. And so they changed their name to the Specialty Sports Association. And yeah, and, and a few numbers on them. Um, you know, youth baseball participation's up 45% since 2012. Youth softball um, participation's up 75% since 2012. They just, um, they're moving from Kissimmee, Florida, their headquarters, into the spring training facility, the old spring f- training facility of the Washington Nationals. So. Mm. In Vieira, Florida, on the, on the space coast of Florida, the county, and the, the county lost the Nationals. They're going to West Palm Beach, so they called up the Triple S A and gave them ten million dollars to to come and renovate the Washington Nationals um, facility. And they, and why would Brevard County do that? Because they see they've been guaranteed 175 nights of overnight stays, tournaments that'll fill up hotels, and they they hope it's going to become an economic so- development engine. So. I mean, why are they a nonprofit? I mean, the, the thing about nonprofits you got to remember is um, a lot of nonprofits aren't just charities, right? So there's hospitals, universities. A lot of people are making a lot of money. Yeah. The, the argument that they, you know, they have a 501c4 designation, and that's for organizations which promote social welfare. And their argument is that by providing kids. Uh, opportunities to play baseball and other sports—it's it, a good thing. It does some social good. Oh man, okay. I mean, I all right, fine. But it's obviously, and with five hundred one C threes and C fours, you know, the, the the CEO can pretty much pay uh, him or yeah. herself whatever they want to pay. Uh, so yeah, it's all about social welfare. But <laughs> yeah, okay, fine. All right, let, let's take some calls. Let's uh, let's start with uh, Tom over in Brick, New Jersey. Tom, good morning. You're on the fan. Good morning, Rick. Yes, Tom. You're, uh... Your guest should get a fruit basket or something from Major League Baseball because what is going on with this, with all of this travel team, super teams, anything you can do is they are going to kill the fan base. The kid who really wasn't a baseball player played it. Now it's too hard and it's too expensive. Baseball is going to be the first sport it really feels there's no stands. There's nobody in the stands. Well, Tom, that's and an interesting. Stands. That's an interesting perspective. Uh, and we're watching the, these sort of uh, uh, these 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 shifts take place. And, and Tom, thanks for the call this morning. And Sean, you just mentioned. On one hand, we see Little League Baseball. The enrollment drops precipitously. People talk about the drop off in, in uh, youth football due to concussion concerns. Mm-hmm. 
but Little League Baseball, rec baseball in towns, oh, no, that's not good enough for my kid. My kid wants to be on, on a travel team, and, and uh, uh, which is much better than the local Little League. On, so then you just mentioned that youth baseball, the numbers with travel programs are up substantially. Uh, you know, Rob Manfred, the commissioner of baseball, has worked very hard to make baseball seem fun and exciting for the next generation. But as Tom says, at the end of the day, you know, uh, what, what, what happens? I mean, are kids actually playing baseball or they begin to realize this is a really difficult sport to master? And it's, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, by the time they're 12 or 13, they realize that it's, it's, they're not going to be a superstar. And so they walk away. Tom, Tom brought up a couple of really great points there. But, yeah, the, the numbers I cited, is that's for travel baseball, right? Mm-hmm, so the, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. that's that's going up. But broadly, yeah, I mean, um, baseball knows they have a young people problem. They Their fans skew older. And, and Manfred knows that the travel industry is doing him no favors because, as you guys have talked about, kids drop out if they're not making these elite teams. And, you know, the science shows that – Kids who specialize early are at risk of burning out of their sport. Right, and so that's that's been pretty clear, and and that that'll happen in baseball. And the other issue with baseball and these travel teams is injuries, um, and, and it hits all sports, but particularly baseball. You know, you've talked about uh, you know over the years, you know, the arm injuries, Tommy John surgeries for eight, nine, ten year old kids. So that's another factor that could drive kids away from baseball. So um, yeah, I think. You know, as baseball tries to attract younger and younger fans, they need to broaden the base, and having this elite travel system um, does them no favors. Well, and yeah, again, going back to my point a few minutes ago, nobody, uh, either from the federal government or from the states, and obviously Major League Baseball, nobody sort of intervened and said, let us provide some guidelines for parents who are wanting to know what's going on and, and how, to, how to circumnavigate uh, these very, very difficult uh, you know, terrain for their kids. Let me just go on. Let's go to uh, Ed over to Elizabeth. Ed, good morning. You're on the fan. Morning, Rick. How you doing? Good, Ed. How are you? Good. Whatever happened to the day when we, when people used to, or fathers used to play catch with their with their uh, sons, or go outside and shoot baskets with their sons? It, <laughs> it's amazing how it's changed so much, especially on the youth level. I mean, it'd be nice to think if we were able to regulate things and maybe don't have travel teams until uh, when they're in high school. Well, that's where I think the travel teams become important because that's where all the high school's players are getting noticed by colleges. I think when they're younger, it just gets crazy where parents just want to be on a travel team instead of the local rec program or Little League or even Cal Ripken. And, Ed, you know this, uh, and thank you for the call this morning. Not a, not a problem, Rick. Thanks, Ed. You know, and, and Ed will tell you that you know the fact is that all these parents – you know, buy into the fact that, yeah, my kid is going to be a, a, a particularly uh, superstar in baseball, so it's obligatory upon me as the mom or dad to, to get them to, to a travel program, to get them special coaching, you know, extra batting practice, extra whatever it might be. But the reality is, you know, by the time they get to be sophomores, juniors, seniors in high school, they sort of realize they're not going to be a superstar. Then no colleges are calling about uh, or scholarships. And the fact is, most baseball scholarships are maybe a quarter of, uh, of what the tuition is, and it's it's a huge disappointment. Now, a reason I mention that, Sean, is obviously you lead off the piece with Joey Baseball as a ten-year-old kid, who you know, by all accounts, you know, this is a superstar in the making. But he's ten. I mean, that's really young. Yeah, and and the, to be fair to Joey, 
Joey and the family, their dad, their dad knows that Joey's very small. Um, he's like 65 pounds. He's a tiny kid. And he, I think he's aware, he says he's aware that, you know, puberty is going to be the determining factor for him, if, if you know, possibly. Um, he's young, he's talented, um, and, but they're investing a lot of money. Their perspective is, you know what, this is what he wants to do. We're fortunate to have the means to do it. Um, and we're spending a lot of time together. And I didn't have this as a kid. And so if he has the opportunity to play on the big-time level as a kid, even if he doesn't make high school or college, at least he had this. So that's their perspective. Now, uh, it's hard to argue against that, um, but I think you know, they, they know that they take it to the extreme level, um, you know, $100 batting lessons, pitching lessons, fielding lessons, batting cages in the backyard. You know, Joey Baseball plays for teams um, based in Florida and Texas. He's from New Jersey. Um, he has an Instagram following, 24,000-plus um, Instagram followers. And, you know, the, the dad gets nice feedback that Joey inspires their kids and that kind of thing. But it's definitely a different world where um, little kids have kind of cult athletic followings on social media. That's something that didn't exist, obviously, you know, here's, six years ago. Here's the downside, and you know this, uh, mm-hmm. that, and I guess the parents are trying to sort of, you know, say the right things. Mm-hmm. The downside is somewhere along the line, as I just mentioned, probably uh, by the time the kid is 13 or 14 or 15 or 16, once they begin to be aware of their competition and they see the world uh, not just through the, um, uh, the prism of mom and dad, but they see the real world for what it is in terms of sports, they begin to realize on their own that I'm just not going to be good enough. I'm not, I'm not big enough. I'm not fast enough. I'm not strong enough to compete at the next level. And at that point, it all, the whole dream all, all the emphasis on youth sports and, and the lavish travel programs, it all sort of begins to fizzle out because that's not, gonna, that's not where the kid's future is going to be. And you don't often read about that right. because parents are a little, I guess, either they're embarrassed or the kid doesn't want to talk about it, but that, that's the problem. Yeah, and I would, you know, I would love to follow up with some of the kids that we profiled in our story five, six, seven years from now, when they're older and they can talk about, hey, did you really like this? Looking back, was this worth it? You missed out on birthdays and friends and birthday parties and sleepover parties and all the kids' stuff that you missed out on because every weekend you were going to a tournament. Um, do you regret that or do you cherish the time you spent in the, in the hotel rooms with your family and the kids on your team? So that's you know, it's a conversation with these kids, you know, six, seven years from now when they're more mature and can assess it, and that's something um, on the list of things to do. Um, I, I would really be interested to talk to you. Yeah, I will be too, but I will tell you that having gone through this myself as a sports parent, I can tell you that there are very, very few so-called uh, happy endings yeah. for the kids who go on to be good enough uh, to play college ball or even fewer to play pro ball. You know, when we go through the numbers – about and we said this to the parents that you know less than four percent of all high school athletes are going to play in Division One, Division Two, right. Division Three. These parents say, "Yeah, but my kid will be one of those special four percent." Yeah, but that's not the... no. The numbers are so against you, and so and and you made a good point about baseball and, and other sports too. People don't realize that the scholarships aren't full scholarships in a lot of no, sports. It no. happens in basketball and, and football because those are the revenue sports. Uh, but the non-revenue sports, um, a lot of partial scholarships. And, and a lot of places on the Division One teams are non-scholarships, so that that makes the odds even longer. The full ride odds are, 
I think you know probably more closer to one percent, if not lower. Yeah, and that's that's again, they don't. Unfortunately, too few parents either want to hear this or or, right. or the travel program coaches aren't telling them that. But that's that's the truth. And the other thing too is that uh, parents, unfortunately, because they live within their obviously the community and their kid may be a big fish in a small pond, they don't realize there are, in fact, 50 states in this country, yeah. and, and there are kids everywhere, millions and millions, who have the sh- who share the same dream that, that your youngster has. And, you know, 50 states, and a lot of, lot of towns, a lot of counties, a lot of cities. Uh, there's a lot of competition out there. All right, let me, let me take a pause. Uh, I'm talking with Sean Gregory of Time Magazine. When I return after Mike's update, we'll continue to talk and take your calls as well. Check out uh, my website at askcoachwolf.com where you can post your your thoughts and comments about uh, our topics that we cover here on the show. Right now we're talking with Sean Gregory of Time Magazine about his terrific cover piece that that ran this past week about youth sports and how it's become a multi-multi-billion dollar industry. We're taking your calls at one 337 Sixty-six, sixty-six, and let's continue with our calls. Let's go to Bill, who's been waiting patiently. Bill, good morning. You're on the fan. Uh, good morning, uh, Coach. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. The, 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 he wrote a great article, but it, I don't understand why these guys, the, these leagues, and everything aren't trying to help out the, the parents by getting some of the equipment that you know that that they need. We mean, where I the, mean the money, where the money goes. Yeah. Well, that's a good question, Bill. In fact, uh, I'm, I'm glad you asked that because one of the things that over the years I've noticed particularly, Sean, with uh, Little League Baseball, and Little League Baseball, you know, they like to crow and point with great pride to the fact that it's a volunteer organization, that everybody, the umpires are volunteers. I mean, you, when you go to Williamsport, everybody working the concession stands, the ushers, the parking attendants, they're all volunteers. And yet Little League Baseball, which is another non-for-profit operation, uh, they have something like uh, close to $100 million in cash reserves. Um, and, uh, the, the, you know, the CEO, Steve Keener, makes close to half a million dollars. So, and they have multi-million you know million dollar deals with ESPN, with major corporate sponsors. Where all, where, why? Where's all this money going? And, Bill, thank you for the call. I have a- Sean, tell me about that. What, 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 what about all this money with, uh, with uh, Little League Baseball? No, they definitely have. We took a look at their filings something around $87 million in, in assets. And you can definitely make an argument that some of that money could be spent down on making baseball more accessible um, to, to kids that can't afford it. And it extends to the pro organizations, too. And to their credit, I think they're starting to become more aware, um, U.S. soccer, MLB, um, that they know that um, they, they have to... You know, for, as we could talk about solutions to the pay for pay, pay for play problem, and one of the solutions is going to be um, investment um, by the pro teams to do a little bit more to make sports accessible. You know, there's a group, the Aspen Institute down in D.C., and they, they've 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 pulled together a lot of these actors in the sports industry to try to make a push to invest and, and make sports more more affordable. How far that goes and how successful that is is the big well, question. But I, it, they're starting. Let me say this: I know about the Aspen Institute. They've been around for a while, and uh, even programs like that or Positive Coaching Alliance. These are organizations, obviously, about youth sports. They have they have seemingly have, have good intentions, mm-hmm. but they don't seem to. They just point out the problems. And and one of the things I like to do on this show 
uh, and on my website in my own speaking engagements is say, let's find solutions to these issues. Because right. just to say, oh, we got a problem, gee, this is a concern, you know, kids and parents, and my kids, do I play you know, football, concussions? Give us some solutions here. So I mean, it, it's, 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 it's one thing to say, yes, we're... We're trying to show there are issues. We know there are issues. <laughs> yep. There have been issues for, for 25, 30 years because sports are, are no longer just played by kids on their own, you know, in sandlots or behind, you know, in, in, in schools. It's now become big, big business, as certainly you pointed out. But the fact is, a lot of these organizations, they just say, hey, it's a problem and it's a, and it's a concern, which is one reason why, quite frankly, you know, uh, there was a whole sort of cottage industry of people writing books about sports psychology and, and sports parenting. They don't really sell very well. And that's a concern, too, because parents say, we know what the problems are. Right. Give us some solutions. No, that, that's definitely a fair point. And, and, and it's hard. It's a hard problem to solve when the business interests are growing so much. And, um, you know, the forecasts, when you speak to third-party analysts, the youth sports industry is now $15 billion. It's, 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 brought, it's, it's forecast to, to keep expanding. It's grown 50% in the last yeah, six it's, or seven years. It's not, it's, as I said, you know, at the top of the hour, it's not showing any signs of slowing right. down. It's only accelerating. Let's, let's continue with our calls. Let's go to uh, Michael in Pennsylvania. Hi, Michael. You're on the fan. Yeah, hi. Great show. Great topic. Um, right now I'm sitting in the parking lot waiting for my son's hockey game to start. But <laughs> okay. one, of, one of the other issues that it's not really mentioned is uh, how they have these tournaments and the kids are missing, like, a, they want, these travel teams want you to miss, like, 15, 20 days of school and how, uh, you know, it's all to promote these uh, ice skating rinks, really, to have the games on Friday. That You know, sometimes you got to travel Thursday night to play. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's just, Education is how USA Hockey allows uh, kids to miss all these um, school days. Well, it's not so much USA Hockey. Obviously, USA Hockey says we have these tournaments, uh, you know, and hockey, travel hockey starts around, well, this, around Labor Day now. There's tryouts and stuff, and it goes right through to Easter. But the reality is, Michael, as you well know, the, the, the people who run the, 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 the tournaments, they say, well, this is when the ice time is available. And sure, it means your kid uh, has to miss a couple days of school, but after all, this is this is hockey, you know, <laughs> and it's about priorities. It is very, very difficult, uh, and hockey parents in particular are are known for saying, "Well, just you know, pack up the car and we drive, and we spend the weekend, you know, with our ten year old or or thirteen year old living in motels, playing a hockey tournament." Yeah, it's just like like uh, a couple of years ago. You know, my kid's sixteen now, but. One guy told me, I was sitting there at night talking to a parent. His kid doesn't go to school on Friday from April till June. He does a spring tournament. And how is that allowed? It's just it's just crazy how – I and, and some of the teams are not even that good of teams. And they're, you know, they're missing math and science tests and classes and how it's allowed. And it's just – I don't understand. I don't understand how schools allow kids to uh, get that kind of special dispensation where they can miss a, a, a you know a school every Friday just if the kids in a in a in a, in a, in a, in a hockey program which has nothing to do with the school. I mean, how do, how does that work? I don't know, but it's going on. It's just it's just a, a topic that you know you know besides the money, it's just education. Then the prep schools they want you to. When they want your kid to go to prep school, they want them to repeat the grade he just yes, came from. Yes, yep, 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 I hear you. Michael, thanks for the call. Right, thank you. You bet. And, and, and Sean, you know, you grew up in a time, you just said AAU basketball, 
was pretty much reserved for the kids who were all Americans, but now AAU has become even bigger business, and you know it all filters down, and, and everybody can play on an AAU team as long as you pay you, you your registration fee and you pay to to play. I mean, it's really gotten out of hand. Yeah, and and the facilities, and you touched on it with the rinks, and and around here, for example, there have been multi-sport facilities that have opened in in Westchester and elsewhere, and they they have to. Um, feed. They have to. They, they have to get. They build these things. They need revenues to to support the financial investment. So they're going to hold lots of tournaments and lots of games. And um, and there are more than enough more than enough parents that will organize a team and 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 send their kids to these tournaments. Again, there's a, there's a big place opening up in East Fishkill. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's an indoor baseball soccer lacrosse facility it's going to be three it's going to cover a dome that covers 375,000 square feet a 25 million dollar dome they're saying it's the largest dome in the world and the thought being that for the new york area you can now play indoors all winter like and, and like so you can play all year round like you do in the in the sun belt for baseball soccer lacrosse those field sports where usually in the northeast you have to take the winter off it'll be really interesting to see if that that demand um, will be met as we've discussed, Rick. The, the, the geography of it's pretty far up. Um, let's see if they can draw kids from the city. East Fishkill, New York, is uh, yes. It's about I'm a uh, upstate New York. I'm a ballpark at maybe about an hour and a half, two hours from New York City. And it's as you say, this this uh, sports kingdom is going to be gigantic. It's a huge investment. And uh, yes, I mean the, the people who are subsidizing this and paying for this are convinced that they'll have enough. Uh, teams, whether it's baseball, softball, lacrosse, soccer, uh, they can fill us up uh, pretty much every day of the year uh, because of the of the great craze and demand for for parents to see their kids play at a higher level. Um, it's it's going to be interesting because that'll be a good test case to see whether or not this this uh, this obsession with sports is going to continue or it's it's begin to sort of top out. I mean, at some point, Sean, I do believe that parents are going to say, say, you know. This is a huge, huge commitment for my youngster. Uh, as our last caller mentioned, not in terms of missing school, but also in terms of the expense, the time, the effort. And if, uh, if a family has more than one kid doing this, it gets to be really, really expensive. Uh, at some point, parents might say, you know, maybe the time has come to sort of put this on the back burner and, and see if uh, there are other interests or passions that the kid wants to pursue besides playing sports. Yeah, you could see it topping out at some point. And with families, you know, you, I spoke to a lot of families where one kid plays intense travel sport, the other doesn't, and they'll be open about it and say, you know what, one problem with this is our other child does not get as much attention and time, and it causes resentment. So this has a lot of emotional tolls on families that you might not uh, outwardly see. No, I think the parents are, are, are well aware of this, and uh, you know, the, the, the internal concerns, uh, you know, about, well, we're doing this for this kid because the kid seems to have some talent as a basketball player or ice hockey player or whatever it might be. But what about the other children? What about their talents? And, and uh, how, how do we sort of, you know, make sure that we spread enough time and energy with them uh, to make sure everybody can have a chance to pursue their dreams? You know, it, it still reminds me of what uh, Grant Hill I was told by his parents. Grant Hill, of course, the great basketball player. I mean, he said his parents told him, and of course his dad, Calvin Hill, who was a great star with the Dallas Cowboys, they said, you're going to have to pack two parachutes in life, you know, because the fact is you can have that one passion of playing basketball, but if that parachute doesn't 
you know, work or you end up with a knee injury or things just don't work out, you need another passion in your life that's going to carry you to, to great fun and great satisfaction. Because the truth is, you know, with sports, you, you really, as we've said, it's, it's such a long shot. You've got to have another, another interest in your life that's going to carry you to, to great satisfaction beyond playing sports. No doubt, and even within sports, Rick, um, if you the, the, the science and the and the and the data shows that if you specialize early, you're hurting your chances in sports. Um, you know, UCLA did a study where they they surveyed their athletes, and 88 percent of them said when they were kids they played two or three sports. So, um, specializing early um, is yeah. definitely not the way to go. You, you should sample sports. And, of course, have the backup plan because yeah. odds are you're not going to get a scholarship. But if you want to get the scholarship, um, you, you give yourself the best chances to actually sample around when you're young instead of playing all year round one, one sport. The, uh, the article, the cover story of Time Magazine this past week, How Kids Sports Became a $15 Billion Industry. My guest has been Sean Gregory. Sean, I wish I had more time, but uh, obviously, uh, my, again, uh, kudos to doing a terrific job in showing the parental obsession uh, with your kids in sports, and I thank you for getting up early this morning to talk to me about it. No problem, Rick. Uh, Honored to be here. Thanks so much. Thank you, Sean. Okay, let me take a quick timeout. I'll have to do more after this. Big Wolf Sports Radio 1019 FM The Fan Sports Radio 66 WFAN I think there are uh, two takeaways uh, from uh, Sean Gregory's piece, and I just want to cover them quickly before I wrap up this morning. First of all, I do believe that uh, we're not far uh, from parents, uh, coaches, uh, kids in this country. We are going to reach a, a turning point where we want to begin to realize that this is just uh, this obsession with youth sports and travel programs and, uh, and elite teams and uh, you're paying for coaches and private tutors. That's, we're going to reach a point where that's just going to stop. The parents are going to realize this is getting nuts. It's getting out of hand. And and the other point is, which is in line with that, is that we're also reaching a point where families, we're getting to a point where, quite frankly, this is beginning to become the domain of just wealthy families. The pay-for-play situation in the country, it's getting to be so expensive uh, and so time-consuming and involves so much uh, you know, money it's just going to get out of control, and it's going to become pretty much, as I said, just sort of the, 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 uh, the, the hobby and, and the, uh, the spare time passions of parents who have the money to do this for their kids. But it's just going to get too expensive and get too isolated, and that's going to be uh, the reality of this. Okay, my thanks this morning to Sean Gregory for joining me, and my thanks, of course, to Anthony Gallo. Stick around for Ed Randall. He is up next. I'll see you next Sunday right here on The Sports Edge. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion.